Welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Chris Dooley. It is now nine days since polling day in the US presidential election, and although counting continues in several states, a clear winner has been declared. The Democratic candidate, Joe Biden, will be inaugurated in January as the 46th President of the United States. Try telling that, though, to the current occupant of the White House, Donald Trump, who has refused to accept the election result, which he says is the product of large-scale electoral fraud and is pledging to have it overturned in the courts. For the latest on this, I'm joined from Washington by our Washington correspondent, Suzanne Lynch. Suzanne, can you start by giving us a snapshot of the state of play today, Thursday, in terms of the ongoing counts and Donald Trump's continuing refusal to concede defeat? Well, as you said there, um, the counting, final counting is still going on in some states, but uh, the election was decisively called for Joe Biden Saturday um, after he reached the requisite 270 electoral college votes. Um, But we're still waiting to hear a final call um, on Arizona and some counting going on in Pennsylvania, even though Joe Biden has increased his lead there. And then in Georgia, uh, state officials there have ordered a recount. That is because the margin there is so tight. So in certain states, um, if a margin is at a certain level, well, then an automatic recount happens. And it's happened before. I mean, Wisconsin, for example, has in the last few few election cycles had a number of recounts. So it's not that unusual uh, in the system. And it very rarely makes a, a big uh, difference to the outcome. And so those counts are and um, those counts and recounts are going to be happening. Uh, but the, the bottom line is that Joe Biden's lead is such that it looks impossible at this stage for Donald Trump to, to catch up and to change the results of this election. He would have to win in all the states like Arizona, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Um, for him to win the election. And that is not possible at the moment. Has the Trump administration produced any credible evidence of fraud, either in the courts or or elsewhere? No is the answer to that. Um, Throughout the week, we have seen uh, the Trump campaign give impromptu press conferences, if you like. And during those press conferences, there was no serious evidence produced by, uh, by the team. Now, in in Pennsylvania, there was uh, already one court case and some of that was queried by the judge, you know, whether one issue that they're focusing on, for example, is whether observers can uh, be present at a count. And in that case, uh, the court kind of said, well, there were Trump uh, representatives in the court. So what's the problem? So in that case, uh, they were kind of caught out, if you like, not a very strong argument. Um, overnight, though, in the last day or so, we have had the Trump administration um, provide alleged identity fraud. They are alleging that they have about five or six names that they say are people who have already died but they say that somebody used the identity of that person to vote in the recent election. Um, so they have given specific names. That's about the most specific specific we have got so far. They've given specific names. But in this Pennsylvania case, there's only about four or five names. And Joe Biden is leading by 50,000 votes. So even if there was something uh, discovered here, I, I don't imagine that it would change the election results. Uh, that was just uh, published on Wednesday night. So we'll see, is there more information on that? Uh, but that's a bit about the, what are the more concrete examples we have from the Trump team. And what do you think Donald Trump's objective is here, Suzanne? Assuming he knows he's lost, why is he carrying on this fight? 
Well, there's a number of theories, really. Um, The one theory may be uh, that it's, you know, his personality, he doesn't like to lose and he can't accept losing. Uh, And this is that personality trait manifesting itself. And in a sense, this is no surprise because ahead of the election, he repeatedly was asked, would he commit to a transfer of power? And he said, no, he would have to see. So this is playing out exactly the way he had uh, threatened before the election, so in that sense, it 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 he, he's he's informed by uh, by reacting in this way. Um, the other uh, another the- theory may be uh, that he wants to keep the base and the Repu- and this might explain why the Republican Party are also backing him. He wants to keep his base riled up ahead of the Senate runoff races in Georgia. So two of the Senate races have not been decided and they're both in Georgia. And instead, another election will take place on the 5th of January. That They are going to be extremely important elections because as it stands, Republicans have won 50 seats, Democrats have won 48. So if Democrats win two more, well, then they will effectively have a majority because the uh, president in power, the party of the president in power, the vice president has a casting vote. Um, so now there's a lot of energy going in on both sides to these uh, two races. So this may be one reason why it's, they're trying to keep the base motivated, particularly in Georgia, to try and win those two seats, the Republicans. Um, but also, uh, I think that he is also has an eye to his future. There's a lot of speculation that he could uh, want to set up his own TV station of some kind. I think that's entirely possible, although in terms of regulation and technically you know, it's not quite so simple, but that is very possible. Um, and he's also spoken about running in 2024. Uh, so if that was his plan, well, then it's very important that, you know, he keeps his profile up. He keeps a hold on the Republican Party, more importantly, uh, so that those more 70 plus million people who voted for him um, will still remain loyal to him if he wants to run again. Or indeed, uh, if one of his children want to run Ivanka Trump or Donald Trump Jr., there has been uh, mentions about about the, both those uh, figures having it, political aspirations. Now, the Republican Party establishment, Suzanne, has been notably quiet through all this with a few exceptions. Why are more of them not speaking up to challenge Trump? Is it is it to do with those 70 million voters he has that you mentioned a moment ago? Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's quite concerning. You see, there's, there's two ways of looking at this. One may be there's kind of a line coming from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, which is, look, this will happen on January the 20th. There will be a transfer of power. It's going to happen. Uh, so, you know, everybody calm down. But on the other hand, they are both, uh, and we're unclear if Pompeo was joking, he was asked about it in his first press conference this week and he said, I'm preparing for a second Trump administration. It's unclear if he was joking or not. Um, But Mitch McConnell, uh, who is the most senior person really in the Republican Party in Congress, uh, he said, you know, Trump was 100% within his rights to pursue legal challenges. Um, But then, you know, quite a, you know, a sarcasm dripping speech in the Senate floor, accused Democrats. He said, let's not have any lectures from Democrats about that the president should immediately cheerfully accept these results because you did not re- accept the results of the of the last election, which, of course, is utterly misleading, deeply misleading there. Democrats did accept the election. Hillary Clinton called Donald Trump and phoned him to concede on election night. Um, and also Mitch McConnell, in the same speech, when he rev- when he uh, spoke at the Senate on Monday, uh, congratulated his fellow Republicans for performing well in the House and the Senate races. And in the next breath, 
said, well, actually, the presidential election hasn't been decided yet, even though this was the same election, if you like. Um, so there are lots of problems there. And I suppose the issue is um, this is extremely damaging or potentially damaging for democracy. We now have a situation where world leaders are calling Joe Biden to congratulate him. And the, you know, the members of the Republican Party are not. We've only had a handful, a couple, a few of Republicans who've actually said that Joe Biden has won the election. So it's a remarkable um, alliance here we're seeing between the Republican Party and Trump. Mike Pence attended the weekly Senate GOP lunch this week and kind of made that clear to Republicans where the president stood. They have obviously decided to back him. Um, now, I do think that is why. I mean, the, the reality of this election was that, is that it showed that Donald Trump remained extremely popular with tens of millions of people in this country and in a lot of those states where these senators, you know, represent. So I think at this point, they don't want to break with their supporters. Their supporters are, are signs are, a lot of them believe or want to believe what Donald Trump is saying. Fox News, for all the talk about it breaking with Donald Trump, a lot of his coverage is giving a lot of space to these unfounded theories about electoral fraud. So I think that is why uh, Mitch McConnell and others don't want to break with Trump at this point. They're hoping that really, ultimately, Trump will back down. But I think, as I say, in the interim, we now have a situation that America, who would have thought it, is now acting like Belarus or Trump is like another authoritarian dictator where he's saying, you know, actually, the voters didn't elect. I am deciding who the, the and the media, and he's accusing the media of deciding who won the election, which is obviously false. Um, so, yes, they may think, look, this will be OK in January. And I think everyone really feels that. But that's kind of, that's not really the point at this point, I think, because we still have a long time. We still have two and a half months between the election and the inauguration when Donald Trump is in charge. And at the moment, as I say, we have this bizarre situation where uh, half the country are not really accepting the election result. It is incredible, isn't it, Suzanne? And I found even as I was writing down my intro here before uh, coming in to talk to you, just, just those words, Donald Trump has refused to accept the result, it's just, it's remarkable that that is happening in the United States. But just on Mitch McConnell, he, he was careful at the same time, wasn't he, not to go so far as to say that he supports Trump's contention that there was widespread electoral fraud. He said he's entitled to challenge the result in the courts. So he, have to, he left himself a little bit of wriggle room, didn't he? That is true. That is true. He, he kept his words um, very carefully. And, and, and on the surface, of course, when he says the president is 100% within his rights to pursue legal challenges, that sounds quite reasonable. But if you think about every other election, yes, other people were pursuing legal challenges. There were recounts, as I mentioned, but no one ever questioned the results of the election. So, you know, it's still the very fact that he's he's accepting Trump's argument or at least um, not contradicting his argument is very worrying because that is not the way the system works here. Um, and of course, he's setting a precedent. They are all setting a precedent now if the shoe is on the other foot in another four years. Um, and, you know, it's very dangerous if 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 you were in a situation where half the country doesn't accept the election results, you know, where does this lead? It, they may find themselves. What happens in Georgia, for example, on January the 5th? It's extremely tight, given that there's already been a recount in the presidential election. We could easily, very easily have a situation where one of those Senate races are very tight, you know, and, and the Democrats win it. Are, 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 how is Mitch McConnell and his colleagues going to respond then? You know, is this going to come back every time there's an election in America? Oh, well, you know, every single vote needs to be recounted and we all have rights to pursue legal challenges. So I think it is opening up a Pandora's box. But yes, you're right. He did not say, he didn't allege that there was widespread allegations of 
electoral fraud, the way we have seen Donald Trump, members of conservative media and indeed his own family saying in the last few days. And I guess, Suzanne, just to underline how remarkable the situation is, we've spent the last 10 minutes talking about the loser of the election. But what about Joe Biden? How has he been dealing with this extraordinary situation? Well, I think he's been dealing with it very well. So over the last few days, we have seen uh, the president-elect hold a number of press conferences. And uh, during this week, we saw him take questions for the first time. He was obviously asked about this refusal by his opponent to accept defeat. And I think he handled it very well because he didn't, he could, he would be within his rights, to use a Mitch McConnell phrase, um, to to really chastise Trump for his behaviour. But he didn't really, I think he, he, it's part of his strategy of lowering the temperature, as he said in his victory speech. Uh, he did say that he felt it was an embarrassment uh, and he felt that Trump's legacy is going to be damaged by this, which I think is very true. But that was all. You know, I think he it's part of uh, Joe Biden's aim not to antagonize the millions, the half the country, essentially, or almost half the country that voted for Donald Trump. He has obviously campaigned on being a, a unifier and somebody who's got a track record of working across the aisle and working with Republicans. So I think it was very much in keeping with that. It was a quite a low key response. Um, but I think he's doing what is uh, undoubtedly getting under the skin of Donald Trump, which is he is acting like a president. He is taking phone calls from international leaders. He obviously spoke to Michal Martin and European leaders um, uh, on Tuesday. On Wednesday, then he spoke to more allies, the leaders of Australia, Japan, South Korea. And uh, more and more as these leaders come in and speak to Joe Biden, it cements further his, his leadership, essentially. Uh, so I think from that perspective, it, it's a very good idea by Joe Biden. However, at the moment, the Biden campaign seems to be also playing this line. Look, this will be fine. We will be, you know, Joe Biden will be president on January the 20th. But a lot could happen before then. So one something that's um, emerged this week is that a little known official in the federal agency, the GSA, the General Service Administration, that body is responsible for managing the transition, essentially, and handing over or uh, authorizing resources to the incoming president. And the official, Emily Murphy, who's responsible for that, a Trump appointee, has not yet done so. She has not designated, uh, if you like, or she says she's awaiting a designation of Joe Biden as president-elect. So that means the Biden camp is not getting their hands on resources and um, the access to information, like classified information, that they are entitled to. Now, there again, Joe, the Biden campaign hasn't pushed this. They could make this into a huge political row. But at the moment, I think they're standing back from that. They are, as it happens anyway, continuing with their own transition plans. We've seen Joe Biden already announce the chief of staff, Ron Klain. He will probably announce some more names before the end of the week. So, you know, they've plenty to do, if you like, before it gets to the point where they need this information. But if that continues, if that standoff continues, that could become a serious source of controversy. Because it's important to remember, Chris, like in, in the American system, um, it is legislated for. The idea of a transition is a formalized concept where the incoming president is allowed to get this information and allowed to get these resources. Um, so if Trump continues to resist that, that is going to be a problem. And we could see the Biden campaign uh, coming out more strongly on that issue. And how long can Donald Trump drag this out? When does this have to come to a head? Well, I think the key date to watch now, um, there's a couple of dates. So the Georgia recount, uh, the Secretary of State there 
has said that he expects the recount to be completed by November the 20th. So that's one date to watch. Um, but more significantly is the date is December the 14th. So that is when the Electoral College uh, meets. So the actual votes for president here is an archaic system are voted by a slate of electors who cast ballots in the Electoral College rather than vote voters themselves. So they need to kind of certify, certify and declare um, who has won the election in each state. And that electoral, um, they, they, those electors meet on December the 14th in the 50 states and in Washington, D.C. So that is going to be a key moment because that's when the each state declares who won the election. Now, there is this concept called the faithless elector, um, which is the idea that an elect, elector in a certain state could cast a vote for a candidate who the state didn't vote for. But now some states have very strict laws around this, but some states don't. And there is a, you know, a really, um, you know, radical theory that in certain states where Republicans are in control, that you could see these faithful electors um, come in and vote for Trump instead of Biden. So that is a possibility. It's 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 legally a possibility, but that would be very, very extreme. And, you know, I, I can't see that happening. So, uh, but, you know, there are murmurings about that on the Trump campaign side. So let's see. But I think that December the 14th date is key, um, which is still a long way away. I'm speaking to you and it's the 12th of November. Um, so Donald, Donald Trump could do a lot. He still has the full powers of the presidency before then in terms of not just in terms of the election, I mean, but in terms of policy, in terms of foreign policy, for example. Um, but yeah, I think we could see some kind of a, um, a decision by Trump or maybe a gracious withdrawal before that point. Just to recap briefly, Suzanne, on those two Georgia Senate races, you mentioned those uh, runoffs. Obviously, it would be of enormous help to Joe Biden to have a, a cooperative Congress when, when he's in office. And uh, we know the Democrats kept their majority, a reduced majority, but they kept their majority in the House of Representatives. Um, but those two final seats in the Senate are, are still in play. Do the Democrats have any realistic chance of taking both of those seats? Well, it's quite interesting because, you know, maybe a few months ago, people would have said, no, they don't. But now we're in a situation where Joe Biden is leading in Georgia. Um, it's extremely tight, as I mentioned before, but he is leading. And if he wins that state, he will be the first president since Clinton in 1992 to win Georgia. So if we're looking at that track record, well, yes, there's obviously a, a sufficient Democratic vote in the state. Um, but you know, this will not be a Senate race that will be on a presidential ballot too. It'll be, it will be taking place in isolation, if you like. So, you know, that does change things. And turnout may not be as high. Um, there is worry on the Republican side, actually, that the, the motivating figure of Donald Trump, the fact that he will not be on the ballot, may uh, depress their uh, turnout. But, I mean, I was writing about this last weekend, making the point that we have seen one of the characteristics of this election cycle has been the enormous amount of money, money that has gone into both the presidential races, but also the Senate races. And time and again, we have seen uh, Senate races like Lindsey Graham's race in South Carolina. And there was even a very well-funded race in Kentucky, Susan Collins in Maine. A lot of the Democratic candidates in those races attracted record break, tens of millions of dollars for their campaign. But ultimately, it wasn't enough to win the election. So, you know, the concern would be on the Democratic side that, yes, we might see all this money now starting to pour into Georgia, but ultimately the people of Georgia are going to be voting in this election, not the donors around the country who are energised by the idea of winning the Senate. So that does not translate into a win, which I suppose is a good thing for democracy. I think what would be more valuable for Democrats 
is to focus on what they seem to have successfully done and what Stacey Abrahams, the uh, the former um, governor candidate in the state, is is focused on getting out turnout and uh, increasing voter participation uh, in the election election system. So uh, that's, I think, going to be the focus of Democrats. But look, it's it's going to be difficult. Uh, David Perdue, the sitting Republican, is facing John Ossoff. He's quite a well-known relatively well-known uh, 33-year-old Democrat who's contested races before in Georgia. And then we have um, Reverend Warnock, the Democrat who is uh, taking on Kelly Loeffler in the other race. Um, he's a pastor who preaches in the church where Martin Luther King once preached. Um, but it's interesting, already Republicans have been, uh, are focusing on this. We saw Marco Rubio, the senator from Florida, he was campaigning yesterday in Atlanta for the two Senate candidates. I heard Kelly Loeffler saying, you know, the road to socialism does not run through Georgia. So we expect to see a lot of the rhetoric we saw in the presidential election now take place in Georgia. But yes, it's hugely important. But I think it is, I mean, Republicans, I would have to say, seem to be better placed at this point to win those, at least one of those seats. And of course, Democrats need to win the two seats. One is not good enough in this case. And on the broader point again, Suzanne, one thing I'm conscious of is that many of us, and I certainly include myself in this, we're following this story largely through traditional media outlets. And we're not necessarily seeing how the story is being presented by more conservative media, some of it on the far right in the US. Is there an, is there an entirely different narrative here that's being absorbed by large sections of the American public that we ought to be cognizant of? Absolutely, yes, Chris. That is that is the reality here. So Fox News, particularly the Fox News personalities like Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity, um, they have absolutely been taking the president's line on this. And, you know, evening after evening, they're talking about, you know, Democrats trying to steal the election, um, about electoral fraud, about how this is important democracy and for future elections to get this right. So it is a kind of a propaganda line that, that no, actually, um, this is this election is not over. And there's this concept that the media has called the election. So they're wrapping it into this demonization of the media that we've seen throughout the whole Trump administration. And we even saw there was one uh, high widely shared clip on social media of a Fox News presenter cutting off Kayleigh McEnany, the press secretary, when she was talking about instances of electoral fraud. And the host said, you know, I can't in all conscience run this because we we don't know if this is true. And that very evening, Sean Hannity, who's a friend of the president's, didn't reference it directly, but implicitly criticized, you know, said, who are we to decide when to cut off from people who are speaking on air? You know, we're now seeing a break within the Fox network. Uh, with some um, some network hosts who command huge audiences of hugely um, loyal Trump supporters, that's why they're doing it. Of course, they don't want to alienate their own re- their own watchers, their own viewers. Um, so we've seen within Fox News some of those breaking breaking with their own station. Um, so yes, the answer would be yes. And of course, on um, on Twitter, like to give one example, on social media, a campaign, a hashtag uh, offered this hashtag #MadeInGate which suggested that people's maiden names um, were being used to steal votes. So, for example, if somebody was married, that they have two identities, their married name and their maiden name. But in fact, there's been lots of reporting into this. State election officials said there's absolutely no proof of this. No complaints have been filed about anybody using, getting the wrong, using the wrong voting ballot with their maiden name and voting twice. So, and that took off on Twitter, this concept of maiden gate for example. So we're seeing this all the time here in all media channels in the United States. And finally, Suzanne, just to to finish where we come in, as it were, Donald Trump's refusal to accept 
this election result. Is there a possibility this could yet end up in the US Supreme Court, a court where three of the nine justices were appointed by Donald Trump? I think the only possibility of that happening is that there was already a case in Pennsylvania that the Supreme Court allowed stand, which was the notion that Pennsylvania was permitted to accept absentee ballots three days after the election finished. So that was a case that went to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court and then the US Supreme Court allowed that ruling effectively to stand. So as a result, but they said at the time they could revisit that case. So there, that was, bef- that was, before, that the was before the election. And the Trump campaign have kind of joined that case, if you like, since. Uh, so I think there is a possibility, maybe, that that could be taken up by the US Supreme Court. However, that specific case applies to absentee ballots that have been received after Election Day. Now, I don't have the figures, but because things are still being counted there. But it seems unlikely that there would be enough of those, even if the Supreme Court ruled against them, you know, ruled in favour of the Republicans there. Joe Biden still has, as we speak now, over 50,000 votes ahead of Donald Trump. So even if that went... I don't know if it would, you know, how they would rule, B, if there would be enough votes to materially change the outcome in Pennsylvania, and C, most importantly, even if he won Pennsylvania, if he doesn't win the other states, he's not going to win the election. So from that point of view, it's not like uh, 2000. That's the issue. It's not, it's not hinging on one state the way it was in the Florida recount. And that's one of the big differences. And that's why Donald Trump, you know, this is just an act, a performative art by Donald Trump, because it's not going to change the outcome of the election, really, no matter what happens, because he has to win a number of states, not just one like Pennsylvania. So so that's what I would say on that. Um, but I suppose it is possible Supreme Court could rule. And then also, Chris, sorry, to, then what you could, what could happen there would be a delay to the process of certain states certifying. And then if it came up close to that December the 14th election, well, then that could complicate things. Um, so, yeah, from that point of view, maybe there could be a delay to the timetable there. OK, Suzanne, we'll watch this space. Thanks for that and for your continuing excellent coverage of the election and its outcome on irishtimes.com. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now. 